Hello, hello. Welcome to the King Heroes Journey Podcast. My guest is not here yet. He's still getting himself ready. So I'm just going to go ahead and set up Rockfin for anybody that's already in the zone. And here we go. So it's going to go live. Technology is so much fun when it works. <laughs> I'm actually super grateful. Every level of uh, Babylon that we can use for our purposes, that is good in my books. All right. Hello, Tina. Oh, nice to see you. Glad you're here. Just posting a Rockfin link for anybody who prefers an uncensored platform. Definitely say hello. I had a, a very impromptu chat with uh, Dylan Sicaccio last night, and Mike is in the room. So good. All right. So I'll give you a minute to get settled. Mike, you can just give me a, a thumbs up <clears throat> when you're ready to go. And I'm super excited about this conversation today because we are going to be talking about science. <laughs> this is a big subject these past two years. And who thought they would ever end up being the uh, expert in science? They didn't want to be because they had to be because there's so much BS. And hello, Cheryl. Glad to see you again. That's awesome. Yeah, last night, uh, an impromptu stream started out with Rose at 30,000 feet in the air. And uh, then Dylan Sicaccio, uh, let's see now, Sicaccio, Sicaccio, I'm learning to say his Italian name. And uh, so, so Mike, whenever you're ready, can you hear me, by the way? Doesn't look like Mike can hear me. So I'm going to private chat with him. And just uh, let him know, see if he gets that message. <clears throat> And I'll say, just give me a thumbs up. No, he can't hear me. Hmm. Okay, so uh, check your gear below for mic settings. So we'll just <clears throat> we'll just let him get that uh, settled for the minute, and we're totally fine. So don't panic or anything, Mike. Uh, last resort, if hitting that gear button below under settings doesn't give you the right mic then you could try to jump off and jump on again. Sometimes there's a glitch that way. He's got it. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so I'll just wait for your thumbs up when you feel ready to come on. And Nivod, welcome. Good afternoon to you, Crimson Angel. Nice to see you, Bobby Steels. Excellent. Looking dazzling. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Actually, I have an in-person meeting with somebody today that almost never happens, so I don't get dressed from the waist down, just so you guys know. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to bring Mike on. Hello, Mike. Welcome. Hello. Hi, I can hear you. That's awesome. Great. <laughs> so good. So good. It's uh, wonderful to have you here. And people are just coming on, but I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself and introduce you and the stream. For those of you who are new to my world, then thank you very much for coming on. There's been some uh, lovely uh, additions. Bella Grace is here. So good. We've got a live chat. So we'll be talking to them and uh, maybe taking questions as well if they come through. So my name is Beth Martins. If you don't know me already, I am the host of the King Heroes Journey podcast, as well as a coach in purpose and archetypes. And I help people deprogram what I call to be the new world disorder, because there's so much that happens inside ourselves that we're not aware of, simply because nobody ever brings our attention to it, right? It should be kindergarten 101, that we learn how to manage the inner, lands the inner landscape that we think just happens to us, 
and you know the world is just happening to us around out there but to the degree that you're able to co-create with god and have a whole lot of influence over your inner world which influences your outer world automatically they don't know so i'm here for you for that we ran we recently ran a uh, a primal power course with jacqueline milne it was off the charts so good and we're going to continue for anybody that hasn't heard yet we're going to continue with a coaching group for that and so mike i'm so glad to have you here welcome yeah it's it's really wonderful to be here thank you so much for having me on and giving me the opportunity to speak out I really appreciated that you reached out to me and let me know what you're up to because uh, I don't get my head up from my work very often if you don't come in my zone. So I'll just uh, let people know that uh, uh, his bio, that Mike Donio holds a bachelor's degree in biochemistry, molecular biology with a minor in chemistry from the University of Massachusetts and a master's degree in biotechnology with a concentration in biotech enterprise from Johns Hopkins. He's an accomplished scientist with 20 years of experience. You look very young, by the way, including, <laughs> including 15 years in the biotech and pharmaceutical industry. This experience spans the spectrum of drug discovery, ranging from target identification through preclinical and IND enabling studies, which I don't think any of us are going to know about, but you can explain. <laughs> Uh, his first job as a scientist was in the lab of a top infectious disease doctor doing HIV research, which is really interesting because we kind of have HIV 2.0 going on here, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, or I'll get, get you to agree. So following that, he went into the pharma industry, working several years at Shearing Plow, which was subsequently acquired by Merck. I think we actually worked for Merck back in my days of uh, marketing. We had uh, several pharmaceutical companies. I barely remember in Health Canada. I was trying to ignore it all, actually, when I was there. It was so oh, sad. Wow. I was, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, in my past life, I was a vice president of my family's marketing and communication firm. And then mm -hmm. I nearly died, almost dropped dead of a stage four lymphoma. And that's when my life began. And I followed my purpose instead. And uh, so next, he decided to mix things up. This, we're talking about Mike again and worked for a few years at Eurofins, a contract research organization, and then spent the last six years at a company called Immuno Oncology Space, where he was a, a recently a senior scientist developing antibodies to treat cancer. So we have a lot in common here. And despite the extensive experience and accomplishments over the last 20 years, Mike was let go from his most recent role in the biotech company for not consenting to take the poison uh, injections due to his deeply held religious beliefs. So another, so so many uh, beautiful points of connection that I saw we had. And then I grilled you on germ theory before we <laughs> we got on this and, uh, and we're on the same page. So I don't have to give you a hard time about that. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I think I think we're good on that one. <laughs> okay, fantastic. And I'll just say hello to Mojo Shop and Evan is here. And uh, Cheryl has a private message I won't share. Okay, perfect. I'll see if I can get back to that. And so Mike, what was it that inspired you to speak out in the first, first of all, I'm curious, what what led you to this line of work in the first place? Everybody has certain inclinations according to their own inner blueprints. So what was it that, about the biotech industry that attracted you? Well, it certainly wasn't the biotech industry at first that I guess it wasn't my necessarily my vision that I was going to wind up in in industry in some big corporate situation. I guess mm -hmm. it, it started out um, really just with a fascination of science um, mm -hmm. as I went through my studies and then, you know, a desire to, to help people. And I felt and I think a lot of scientists feel this way that 
you know, it's science, right? There's got to be um, something about it that's that's bigger than us that we can contribute to, right? Um, and, but then you wind up in that system. And so I was in academia for a little bit. That's where I did the research. I mean, the HIV research. And then, you know, after some time, it just, I just wound up in industry. And that kind of was, was the path until, up until now. Um, but it, it wasn't that I necessarily intended it to, to go that way by any means. I totally, um, <laughs> I completely hear you, Mike. You know, if somebody said, well, what attracted you to uh, marketing in the corporate world? I'd say like nothing. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I love business and marketing, but the, that whole corporate beast, nobody's attracted to that. For me, it was a means to an end. I thought I had to go through this. I wanted to help my family also very much uh, in the spirit of helping. And I thought I had to go through this interloper. So uh, yeah, I'm glad you clarified with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I'm curious, what was it that made you speak out? You must have had lots of colleagues in that world that didn't speak out, that, uh, you know, went along to get along or simply didn't, you know, just thought it was the best thing since sliced bread that they were going to uh, shoot you up. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, really. where did you um, find that courage? How did you, how did you, how did it start to play out? Like, when did you start to realize things weren't like they appeared to be? Yeah, I mean, I guess first, I, I think there's probably <clears throat> a little bit of a misconception that all scientists, you know, either are are in on it or they're all um, kind of falling in line with things and no one questions anything. And therefore, I've got to be um, a huge outlier, which, you know, I guess I probably have gone a little bit deeper than most. But I've certainly worked with more than my share of really good, smart people that have asked similar questions uh, that I have, it's just most of them won't speak out. And um, I've always, I guess, just been kind of a, a pain in the butt. And so I push back on things and get my hands slapped. And when this came along, you know, it was just another uh, another obstacle for me to, to, <laughs> to push back on. And unfortunately, it, it led to me um, being terminated. But, you know, so at the end of the day, was it something that I, that I hoped for, that I, that I, you know, you don't wake up in the morning um, and say, I want a big uh, soul crushing tyranny for breakfast, right? I mean, we, we don't expect <laughs> to have these kinds of things brought on us, but I kind of looked at it and I said, if, if not me, who, if not now, when, I mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't ask for it, but I'm, I'm darn well going to, do the best that I can to, to rise to the occasion and fight back. Amazing. Amazing. So good. And that's why you're on the King Hero's journey, <laughs> <laughs> right? That uh, the purpose is something that you almost never desire, right? There, there will be a soul level pushing, compelling you. And, and you could, that can, there can be definitely desire in there. But for the most part, it's kind of like, and I was describing this yesterday, that uh, say comparing to motherhood, which is a, a calling and a little bit locked in time, you don't stay in that calling necessarily for very long. But for me, it was like having a, and I don't want to be morbid about it at all, but it was like having a noose around my foot and God was pulling me. And I was like, okay, we're going for a ride now. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> 
And that's how it is, right? It's not that people go seeking, oh, I want to be the head of this uh, science organization and rally scientists across the world, which you are doing. But it was just like, okay, yeah, if I don't do this, then maybe nobody's going to do this. And I have the calling. So there's some kind of uh, inherent responsibility there. Do you feel that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, when I look back at my career and, you know, the fact that and, and really what this the industry and what science has become, I started to think, well, did I really want to be part of that anyway? And then, you know, then that becomes, well, maybe I was actually freed from that for a greater purpose. Right. And so I, I you know, I don't know, because I this has been one heck of a journey that I've been on in the last couple of months. I've connected with just so many amazing people like yourself and I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. So I, I just feel like I'm, I'm doing the Lord's work. Right. I mean. Amazing. Amazing. And do you want to talk about that a little bit that, um, it, you know, I feel so incredibly fortunate that pretty much anybody and everybody, I was trying to even think of one person that I have in my world that is, you know, truly doesn't believe in God or atheism, which is so popular these days has literally been promoted. <laughs> And I don't have anybody in my world like that. When we connect, I don't, I'm not running around looking for Christians that are looking for people with faith. I'm really not. But all the people in my world are. And the whole study of law that you might have seen we're into, that all led me to the Bible and back to, you know, first of all, just looking for the contract in law, but then realizing like, whoa, I have Christian roots. I was born again as a child and uh, ended up born again again in the in the process of looking into all of this stuff. So how does your faith uh, work for you in this process of um, letting go of your job that no doubt was stressful for you and caused some sense of unknown for the future? And you, you have a family as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm married and I have three young kids, so that definitely mm. weighed on it. But, yeah. but fortunately, and I guess thank God, my wife has been you know, incredibly supportive. Um, so great. Uh, you know, I know you hear stories throughout this whole COVID thing where, you know, that's not always the case. Um, one, one spouse will be pro one thing and one, you know, and I mean, it, I, I can't imagine how many couples and families it's torn apart. So, I mean, I just consider myself very blessed that um, having to go through something like this, I have that kind of a a, a great family and, and support system. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. It's a powerful union. I teach about the masculine and feminine archetypes. And uh, when those two either, you know, energies or men and women come together, there is power off the charts. I call that the power of wholeness. Because you you bring to the table what she can't easily or naturally provide. She brings to the table what you can't easily or naturally provide. And together, there's force there. So I'm super glad to hear that. Hats off to your uh, partner for supporting you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. So do you want to talk about the culture of the science world, what that's like from the inside? Most of us don't see it from the inside. Uh, you know, how that relates to the way methodologies are used and uh, and mis maybe misused from the notes I've got seem mm. to imply that. Yeah. So... I mean, it definitely can vary quite a bit, whether you're in pharma and in huge companies like a company like Pfizer, let's say, 
-hmm. or Merck that I used to work for. Mm -hmm. These are huge companies. You're, you're incredibly siloed. You don't see anywhere near to the, the big picture, right? You just kind of see whatever little area you happen to be part of. Um, but in a smaller company, like where, where I was most recently, a bi you know, in the biotech field, you can wind up in these very small startups. And so that's a much, much closer, much very, very small, tight-knit group. So the, the culture can vary quite considerably. Um, you know, the bigger companies, you know, are, are they're corporate machines, right? I mean, you know. Um, and even the smaller companies, even if they start out very very small and kind of informal, you always kind of graduate up to a more corporate uh, formal uh, situation. Um, but I think overall in industry, it winds up being, especially if you're in a, in a competitive space. So most recently, like you were saying, I was at a company that was working in the in oncology, in the immuno-oncology space. Um, developing antibodies to, to treat cancer. And I mean, it's an incredibly hot area. So when you're in an, when you're in a competitive area like that, or let's say virology right now, right? Um, there's an immense amount of competition and pressure. So time is everything. And this creates um, a lot of bias and willingness to push things through that, you know, you, you might not expect that you would would handle it in that way and it, and it leads to a lot of invalid data um, but it you know I can say from especially my my most recent um, role but really my, my whole time in industry I mean timelines things are incredibly tight in in the science industry it's not at all like what you might imagine in a in an academic lab so academia is completely completely different. It's a lot more um, tremendously laid back and flexible. And I mean, there's still timelines, right? Because you have, you, you have to publish like crazy. And that's another issue that comes into play with, with, with the validity of data and, and putting in bias and things like that. But, um, but it's much more, much more um, cutthroat, I would say in industry. Um, and, and that does, I guess, doesn't always breed the best culture, but it, it can vary quite considerably depending on the size of the company and, and kind of what area maybe you're working in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's always uh, the individuals that make up that that situation, and 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 they'll be different from from place to place. And uh, leaders matter a lot, so they they set the pace, and they they actually hire those individuals. So they'll they'll hire those that are you know vibing at their level, so to speak. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's going to determine. And uh, personally, you know, we, we've just opened up here in Manitoba, by the way, at the now now you no longer need a, a uh, pass to go to unessential businesses. Ooh. Oh, I know. It's like <laughs> I was all giddy for about 10 seconds. And then I'm thinking to myself yesterday, like, where do I want to go? Hmm. Well, there's that. They've been rude to me for two years at the cafe downstairs, which used to be my like ultimate favorite cafe ever. Oh. And now I don't even want to go there. And there's a chance that they're not going to, in fact, let me in because they've given the businesses the, the choice. 
over the situation, oh, sure. right? So they mm-hmm. pass the liability over to the businesses. And uh, and then do I want to go in and fight with anybody that's turned me away for two years so I can buy their coffee? Like, no. <clears throat> so I'm going to go back to Monstrosity Burger, shouting out to the, a local restaurant here that <laughs> has uh, been absolutely heroic this whole time, never laid down to die, even when they were shut down and their licenses were... Uh, you know, the, the, the money-making liquor license, unfortunately, was removed and uh, they came up with a system and they started to like shoot some arrows back at, <laughs> at these guys. And they've operated. It's one place that I know I can go and it's going to be nothing but friendly, beautiful people and excellent food at the same time. So why would I bring my business anywhere else? It's going to be another level of wheat from the chaff, the, the businesses mm-hmm. that choose. And it's, we already know that like Walmarts and Costco's and um, all those big places, although I heard you could get into a movie theater yesterday. So that was interesting. But the bigger they are, the less um, soul of any kind that they have, right, that you have to stop caring because if you, if you were that you know, leader of a one-to-many situation and you cared about every individual, so so you would think this is the tyrannical ruler just stops caring about everybody. Although that's um, absolutely not true that that has to happen. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but I'll ask you another question if you like, or <laughs> if you want to have something to say about that. No, I mean, I think that's probably a, a lot of, a lot of people have kind of lived that thing where, you know, you, um, your favorite places now or places where you're, you know, you like to go. Now you kind of got to reassess that. Do I like that? I don't know. I, I, in my area, I was part of a couple um, groups on Facebook and people would kind of put together lists of like, what are the friendly businesses that aren't, you know, cracking down on people or aren't this and that. And so you'd kind of keep tabs in the back of your mind. Well, I know this business has been open and they've been really good and I'm going to go, you know, and they're a, a, small family business or whatever. So I'm going to go support them. And that's what I, I mean, I would strongly recommend find those kind of businesses and support, support them because they're mm-hmm. the ones that have had the courage to, to push back. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so we're heading to a world where so much infrastructure is going to fall. And the Bible has a few different images for that, that, um, you know, do you have to take the whole entire house out because all of the stones are full of mold? <laughs> or are there salvageable stones there? And that's kind of the hope because, you know, we're in, we're in a potentially very civilized, amazing world where we can travel internationally and uh, communicate on, on this basis, right? You and I would never have met without this level of Babylon. Mm-hmm. And uh, so do you think we can take it with us? And what of, what of science and biotech do we need to pull forward with us? Yeah, well, I mean, I would certainly hope that we could take it with us and not have to um, tear it down and start from scratch. I mean, it would it would make it a lot easier. But um, and I guess a wonderful thing that I see popping up now, and I and I kind of um, would hope that the the kind of scientist community that I've started might be part of that is setting up like a parallel system, right? So it's not like you're necessarily mm-hmm. tearing down the old one and trying to rebuild a new one. You're kind of taking those maybe good pieces, the, the, you call it a remnant, right? Of the, of the uh, old system and using that to, to rebuild the system in parallel that can incorporate the, the kinds of freedoms we should be expecting uh, under God for sure. Um, and I think that the same is, can be said for science. You know, we, we've seen a lot of crazy things about science over the last year. 
Um, and what one of those things is that it's really become anything but science. It's become scientism, almost a whole kind of religion, a religious sect unto itself, where experts and people are being worshipped like gods or you know priests or something really weird. But there is a purpose, or at least I would make the argument that there is a purpose for science, but it's got to be real science where you have people that have that are honest, that have integrity, that can do rigorous science using the scientific method and that can ask any and all question, right? Right now, you can't ask any questions. Everything is completely obfuscated, right? I mean, so that that that's not helping anybody. You know, so I think there's definitely a purpose for science, and I would I would hope that there's a path forward um, in some sort of a parallel fashion, at least, where we could work together and and find a way to um, at least advocate for proper science, if not find creative ways to be able to actually perform that research. But there's significant barriers to performing to doing research outside of um, the mainstream. I mean, if you try to go and do research on things that don't fall in line with that, you're not going to get funding, you're not going to get space, you're not going to get whatever. So, you know, I think it's going to take a lot of creativity, but hopefully, as you said, the way that the world is connected now, it's amazing. The people I've met all over, literally all over the world, we can connect now and we can kind of turn their technology against them right and use this to connect and build these new networks and these new communities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you totally got it and um uh Jerneha, i'm not sure if i'm saying your name uh, correctly oh, yeah. do you know her yeah yeah she, she said it. yeah 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 she's she's also she's a scientist that's also um been speaking out on some podcasts and she's part of of our uh, scientist group there Oh, fantastic. Very good. Yeah, welcome. So she says, we'll be too busy eating fruits and caring for each other and won't have time to do research. <laughs> the thing the thing it makes me think of is that, uh, yeah, back to the garden. I'm, I'm all I'm all with you on that. Uh, but mm -hmm. the thing that it makes you think of is that, you know, science is for solving problems, right? And, and, and we're in a world where they've created our problems, and then come up with solutions, quote, unquote, that are really just new problems. Or, or just faking us out completely, getting us to look in a direction that we should, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise be looking in another direction. And uh, so, yeah, I think we're gonna have a lot of problems to to solve over time with <clears throat> the basics of of uh, infrastructure, right? Like, how do we maybe you know keep electricity going? How do we keep an internet going? How do we uh, keep our health going without all of the you know, maybe normal supports that people are experiencing. Now they won't have the normal stresses on them as well, which is a beautiful thing. And I think under natural circumstances, uh, human beings are just, you know, it's so much easier to be healthy. I can't even imagine if we weren't running with these weights on. Right, last, <laughs> last night I'm going around and I'm just spraying my place. It's so dry. It's normally dry in our winters, but it's become exponentially so with the geoengineering. Mm-hmm. And my poor cats, I basically set them on fire every time I touch them, you know, because it, it, the moisture is being sucked out and you can see how, the, like, what would it be like if, if we just didn't have all the harms around us? Yeah, yeah, it would, it would, would be pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So do you want to talk about specifically about the scientific method and how it has been twisted and turned into scientism? Yeah, yeah. 
So I think the first thing is kind of to start with science. What is science? You kind of alluded to it. It's, it's the word science is derived from the Latin scientia, which means knowledge, right? So literally science is knowledge and it should be a pursuit of knowledge using experimentation. Um, and so, you know, knowledge, so one, one quick thing there, we say knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. Well, science is knowledge. When we defer to the experts and don't empower ourselves to do our own research and stuff, we're literally giving away that power. Mm -hmm. um, so the scientific method would be the proper when, when, well, when applied correctly. So there's a lot of scientists nowadays that, you know, maybe they're either just not taught the scientific method or they don't apply it properly. But if applied properly, you know, you, it allows you to answer questions and come to an understanding about knowledge of the, of the world around us. Um, and so it always starts with some bit of information that you already have attained from doing research somewhere online, looking at somebody else's studies that came before you. And you use that to enable, to drive a hypothesis. A hypothesis is just an educated guess. You're taking it to maybe the next step or you're building onto it and you're, and, but it's something you're making it a statement that you think that, you know, something about something you're asking a question, right? But it should be something that will allow you to develop a clear experiment to answer that question. And so here's the problem you might have a very flimsy hypothesis and then you go on and you meander around and you design an experiment that is biased towards an outcome that you want, not just um, agnostically going at it and seeing where, where the chips might fall. Um, and part of that is not having proper controls not being upfront about what assumptions you're making going in. Most of research is built on layers and layers and layers of assumptions. Any paper, any new finding you come out with, there's tremendous amounts of assumptions. If you don't state these things up front, how can you make, how can you really clearly draw conclusions about what the results that you get at the end of your experiment? So you really have to carefully design the experiment. It has to be in line with the hypothesis that you're making, it has to be able to address that hypothesis such that at the end, you can look at the data, you can draw conclusions, and then you can say, did, did the experiment answer, you know, was the hypothesis valid or not? And this is where a lot of people just stop, right? Um, and then nobody wants to talk about negative data as if it doesn't exist. If you go and look in a, any scientific journal, one thing that you won't see is negative data because who wants to publish that? But guess what? Most of it's negative data anyway. So, um, but in reality, then what you would do is go back and re revise, uh, tweak your hypothesis and then do it again, because that's putting the re in research. Right. And what should happen is there should be a really high bar to get to that point where you say, yes, we've proved this hypothesis. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And it winds up being more belief at the end of the day, right, than actual 
um, than an actual scientific, you know, uh, and, and merits based on the, the experimental data that you're driving. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that kind of goes through what the scientific method should be and a little bit into where some of the pitfalls are. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if I could just want. jump in quickly before that. Uh, and, uh, you know, for, for me, my science starts in my intuition. I'd be curious. I, I'm assuming that the person who's, how do you, how do you say her name? Um, Hernia, Jernia, Jernia, or Ernea? Okay, I'll thank you. I'm terrible with names. Okay, so. okay, no problem. And and, and I, 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 she she feels like a woman. I apologize if you're not, but no, you're from no, that from yeah, that. You're uh, correct. Per, per, <laughs> okay, personally, I see like and I just did it. I just I just made an assumption, but it's but it's it's coming from a deeper place of intuition, and it there's a certain knowing that happens, and I don't have any basis for it and I can't explain it and I don't have any evidence, but I will take that intuition and then I'll go and look for evidence and I'll see what matches up with it, what doesn't, uh, you know, the number of times that intuition will come and, and then boom, 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 I'll get three uh, kind of evidence coming my way. I don't even go searching for it, but there's just the kind of synchronicity. Have you experienced that in your, in your science life at all? Or is that a girl thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I guess, I guess perhaps at times, but I think mostly, you know, just, at, just out of requirements and what kind of how you're pushed to execute certain things, you know, it's, it has to be a certain way and it has to be driven by, you know, something more than just intuition, which I don't know why. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like a lot of the times when we trust our gut, we wind up finding answers that will surprise us more often than not then i mean and clearly when you look at most research and most published studies i mean there's there's not much there that's valid so mm -hmm, it's not mm -hmm. as if it's it's helping anybody otherwise right and we've been uh yes they put soothers in our mouth and said oh don't worry about that don't look at the details don't read into it how convenient <laughs> you find out the headline of an article has nothing to do with the actual body content or you know really skews it when you when you read those details and uh and so it's the critical thinking it's the same way with the bible you know many people don't mm -hmm. give themselves permission to read and interpret some people think like oh and they will say outright there are no interpretations of the bible there's only the one right way and it's it's their way how they see it you know and and you can't not do that you can't not this, this to me is a big part of science is is the witness right that that by witnessing something you're interacting with it you are changing it you you can't discount there's like no such thing as a purely objective viewpoint <clears throat> where do you where do you stand for that and uh, let's see uh her name if i'm saying your name right my intuition started kicking in spring of 2020 amazing things have happened well this is exactly it this is exactly right. it. it it called us out of our sleep and that's absolutely yeah i mean for me that's always i think it's intuition more than anything that's what's pushed me to ask questions and to and to dig deeper and help me to to illuminate me into to a lot of the things but which i mean yeah i mean it, it really comes down to intuition listen to your gut it's usually not wrong <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's but true. you can be easily led astray by listening to a lot of other things as we've seen 
Right, right. And to be fair, I've also found my intuition to be wrong. Oh, yeah. And so when I go and check it and I see and that it's very humbling and beautiful that uh, that you don't just go in into it with pride, like, oh, I had this intuition, now I'm done and I just won't, you know, talk to that person and this person. Um, but I wanted to also talk about the why it's required to believe in science. What happened to humanity that we were able to accept levels of science and medicine that if you don't believe them, they're not there. Yeah, I think that goes probably hand in hand with the whole idea of trusting experts, right? So trust the experts, trust the science, or you got to believe in the, the science, right? It's not just science, it's the science, whatever that is, which is a set of, I suppose, actually, I, I came across a definition somewhere that for the science, not just science, but now there's actually a definition for the science. And it's, you know, it has to do with a set of facts that's, you know, that some expert comes out with, right, or something like that. So literally, um, it, I think it's just about being able to perpetuate the beliefs that are, that are in the system and to try to get not, well, to try to prevent people from asking questions in a way if you are just told that you have to believe the science, you know, then who are you to question the science, right? Um, you know, it's like believing, it becomes like believing in, in a religion. And um, where it, it should be based on fact, right? I mean, um, and I don't know how we got so led astray from that um but i mean i witnessed it throughout my entire career it just it's just gotten worse and worse over time how people literally just believe the stuff and don't ever question i mean like you asked me earlier on about how with my colleagues and just accepting you know the covid stuff and whatever i mean people would just and these are scientists that should know better, that should be able to look into these things and, and ask questions because they, in theory, should have some sort of expertise. But yet they're the ones that I find have been most eager to just believe. So it's kind of it's not even just believe the science. It's even the, the, the experts believe it, too. And they want everybody else to believe it. And I don't know. I mean, and then you wind up in, in a system where it just keeps getting perpetuated and you you find yourself unable to question anything. Right. And it's uh, almost impossible or, you know, maybe there are some out there to find an independent science who is like, mm -hmm. say, independently wealthy and can fund all of their own research. And we know it's super expensive and can take a really long time. And with indefinite uh, timelines, you have no idea when when things are going to turn around into like, you know, finding that antibody or a cure or whatever it is you're looking for. And uh, so and that to me that backs up because we're in a slave society where if we don't earn a living even that phrase <laughs> earning a living god never said that god mm -hmm. talked about you know work it's going to be some work there but uh but it's very different when you're just following and uh, and going along with your own purpose god given 
so so yeah those ties it would make it inc incredibly high stakes to pop out of that scientism and and the beliefs and start questioning any of those foundations might very well get them you know losing their job or losing favor with funders all of mm -hmm. that kind of thing so it's um yeah it's a very artificial kind of strange situation and uh so th this is uh, a, a good question what do you think about um Fauci and uh, he's, you know, it, it's, it, uh, oh, um, yeah, he's a, he's a walking, talking contradiction, right? I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> he, mm -hmm. every other word coming or sentence coming out of his mouth seems to be a, a contradiction. I mean, if you, if you believe science has become scientism and some sort of a religion, I think he probably thinks he's the Pope, right? <laughs> so. I mean, yes, exactly. And and this is another point, too, because they've gone to gr such great lengths to remove spirit, spirit and God and, you know, from the schools and from yeah. all the institutions and everything like that. I, I think I just saw I, I don't know if this was a spoof or not, but th there, there was a time where it was like, oh, everybody's religion is going to be honored. And, you know, whether you're Sikh and you have a dagger or, you know, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing like, and I literally, I was shocked last night looking at it going, is this real? But they were saying like, we don't honor any of those now. We're doing these homogenized white, whitewashing, no mm -hmm. religion at all. I think it, I think it did become illegal to, to wear like religious garb in really? our schools. Um, yeah. Um, I'd have to double check. Please contradict me if anybody knows differently here. Uh, but you know, so is it, is it, it is, a, uh, is it as a, a swap is what I'm trying to say, right? Like the the that science belief in place of what otherwise would be a relationship with God. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it certainly could be. I mean, uh, it's obviously not for me, but <laughs> I think, yeah. um, you know, the way that people believe in it without any question. I mean, in fact, actually, you know, it's kind of well, not funny, but I mean, when you look at how some of these people, how some people believe in science, and this is people on the inside that I've seen and worked with and and just people on the outside that that have, you know, have nothing to do with science, the way that they kind of worship people like Fauci and, and others and, and believe in the science, you kind of wished, I mean, that's the, the way that we should be um approaching our faith in a lot of ways you know i mean it, it's like i think there's a lot of people even christians and things of other faiths that you know probably don't worship <laughs> or you know uh are not as strong in in, in disciplined i guess because in their faith as some of these people are in their worship of scientism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and frankly, with religion, I don't approach it like belief. And I really looked into that word belief, too. I, I can't get down with it trying to like believe in something that I have no evidence for no inner experience, which is where I look for my evidence first. And then I'm, I just can't do that. But there's it, no need for it either because I have actual evidence. I have a, a, a deep, intimate relationship with my creator. And that's it, it's tangible to me. Nobody can argue with me about that or take it away from me. But it's not belief. It's like, no, no, it's right here. I'm not making up some imagination, right? When you go to sleep, all your beliefs are gone. 
you will mm -hmm. have to you'll have to reinstall them every time you wake up and and you know rejig who you think you are and what's going on in your world but that's not true with god like if i go to sleep or I wake up it's, it doesn't have anything to do with uh erasing god just because the belief's not there so it's in a way back to science should be the same what can be observed and i'm i'm not discounting the fact that there are things we can't observe either that are that are maybe beyond us but they wanted they wanted us to believe that it's all that you know that that when i look up to the moon i don't know where you are on flutter stuff but when i look up to the moon it's not the you know what is it 19 million miles away or something crazy uh, yeah, I, I forget off the top of my head. I'm not that kind of scientist. So. <laughs> right, right. Got it. Got it. Yeah. But it's, but my eyes say it's right there. It's just right there. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, why should I discount my senses that God gave me? Did mm -hmm. God give me senses to fool me and create all illusions and confusion? Uh, what is it? God yeah. is not the God of confusion or something along those lines, right? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, the moon is in the clouds. It really is, Jim. <laughs> I just see it right there. <laughs> Sometimes I swear that there is a uh, a cloud, right? Like you can see the cloud and the and the moon interact. That they're they're you, you just said it. Yeah, huh. yeah. So that's a, a topic for another another. Uh, <laughs> and oh, we got gravity coming up. Yeah, I, I can see oh. we're going to go in a direction. And Stephanie mm -hmm. had a specific question um, about uh, CCK. Can you read that word? Colecystokine. Uh, hmm. I'm not sure exactly. I think I might know what what that is, but I'm not entirely sure the the context. Um, yeah, if you can clarify for us, Stephanie, we're happy to uh, pull up your question again. And uh, uh, ninety-three million miles is the is the moon. Yes, I got that off. I, I ah, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even worse, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And um, and so, do you want to talk about the reproducibility crisis? I assume that means with oh, yeah, Stephanie's back, telling us we'll we'll talk about this first. So, hormone release when eating. Hmm. Anything to say or add on that subject? I did. I. I'm not yeah. aware of it. Look, I'm I'm going to be the first to say <laughs> when I don't know about something, and I'm and that's not something that's in, you know, I'll be honest, it's in in my wheelhouse. So I mean, yeah. a lot of scientists like to pretend like they know a little bit about everything, but I'm I'm happy to admit if there's something I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. That that uh, is a credibility building position to have, as far as I'm concerned. So the vagus nerve, yeah, that's uh, a good one. So we'll we'll save that for another time. That sounds and familiar, though. I, I'm. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to mm -hmm. just randomly speculate. And <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know the vagus nerve is very involved in our, you know, when you're in fight or flight, that you're almost mm -hmm. strangling yourself with that nerve. Everything is so tight and uh, and locked in. And I sometimes I really tune in with that nerve in particular and and release it. I've also been doing a lot of uh, just brain awareness kind of stuff where I can feel energy in the brain stem in particular or the uh, cerebrum or cerebellum and the masculine feminine, how it goes back and forth there. So there's a lot more we can know right inside ourselves than than people are aware. But let's talk about the reproducibility uh, crisis. And to me, that's that's about experiments, right? That you they can't be reproduced or? Right. So yeah, that has to do with with, I guess, published data would be the 
probably the most commonly discussed format that that's that pertains to. And um, so the the bottom line is, and I know we all every we all like to uh, pull up studies and things, and you know there was I've got a good example actually of a recent one, um, but we need to use. We need to use discernment with everything, but especially with this stuff, because it turns out that there's a lot of studies that just are not valid for a number of different reasons. And um, one of the landmark papers or people that actually brought this to light was uh, a guy by the name of John Ioannidis. I think that's how you say his name. He's a, an epidemiologist at Stanford, and he put out a paper in 2004 that was entitled why most published research findings are false. And he went on to outline, it, um, in his opinion, um, based on certain models and things, why he believed that most um, published findings were in fact false. And um, he looks at things such as bias, which is clearly an issue. I, you know, I was talking a little bit about that. I mean, if you're, um, trying to write grants, if you're up against deadlines, if you're in a competitive space, you're, you're going to be biased to, to design an experiment a certain way, to um, analyze your data in a certain way, to play around with how you pr uh, present the data. All those things will likely create a scenario uh, and, and a conclusion that's not necessarily based on reality. Um, also, a big one is statistics. Scientists love to use statistics and apply arbitrary statistical parameters to data and say, oh, look, it has statistical significance, and this is why it's valid. When in reality, if you look at the data with your own two eyes, you say, well, I don't care about the statistics. What is the functional significance? What is the biological consequence of this change that you're claiming is in that particular set of data? And I've asked it a, a million times when I've, you know, I've seen data presented and, you know, scientists love to just stick to this, the statistical significance. And in the, the field that I was in most recently in, in, in immunology, immunotherapy, oncology, there's a lot of things that are very subtle changes. And so if you just over, if you have an over-reliance on statistics, you can very easily make, draw conclusions, make claims that are going to have a high probability of being invalid. So then he goes on to look at things just like that. Whereas if you're, um, if you're, if the size of the change that you're seeing is really small, there's a greater than odds. He goes through and looks at this probability. There's a greater than odds chance that it's not valid. It, the smaller the sample size, there's a greater than odds chance that it's not valid other things like that, the more freedom that scientists have to kind of go on and do whatever they want. And this is a, a problem too. You have um, a lot of managers that are not really great managers. They're just scientists that were promoted and they just believe that, well, I did it. And so somebody else, if they've got a certain degree or whatever, they can do it. And scientists really are, um, they're very kind of territorial. So they kind of decide, well, I'm going to do it my way, right? But that's a problem because if you do it your way and so-and-so does it their way, and then how are you going to be able to compare 
the data that you're getting out of it because you're all doing things a little bit differently, right? So that's another way that uh, error can be introduced. And so this was a, a huge study. And um, as it turns out, a lot of companies, and I've done, excuse me, done this myself, you use these published papers as a means to find new targets. And so you take the paper and you say, well, I have to try to reproduce this first to see if there's if it's if it's valid before I'm going to go invest millions of dollars into a new drug program, right? Well, a lot a lot of companies were finding a huge amount of published work when they tried to replicate it to to find new targets was not replicating. But nobody had ever done any kind of formal studies to to show this. It was just theoretical stuff like like um the, the paper from John Ioannidis. Well, Bayer, Bayer Healthcare was one of the first, they did an internal kind of polling of people in these groups that do this uh, new target investigation. And they asked them, you know, how many times or what percentage of published papers that you've tried to reproduce have you actually reproduced? And it was something like 80 to 90% of the time they wouldn't reproduce. So, you know, some huge. So then another company, Amgen, decided to go do a formal study where they actually pulled a set of papers and they kind of even tried to hypothesize that maybe a paper from a more um, a higher impact journal like Science or Nature would have a less chance of or have a greater chance of being reproducible, a less chance of having an issue. And so they selected papers across the spectrum and tried to replicate them same thing massively high number 90 percent or something that couldn't be replicated there was another uh, an independent group that did that tried to do something similar again found uh yes bayer is month or months monsanto is bayer now I okay see. okay <laughs> they yeah they bought it yeah i think yeah and because because they're headquartered where or monsanto was where i live actually so hmm. that's how i happen to know that okay um so, yeah, so then Amgen and then this other independent study, and it was this big thing. Aha, we have all this data now. Most of these things are not reproducing. And and it's also pretty well known among scientists that this is an issue. And it's, and it's not just an issue when you have an independent and outside lab that's trying to go back and reproduce so, someone's work. Even two people, two scientists within the same lab that try to reproduce work, there's issues. I've seen this a ton um, throughout my career and and I've had tremendous issues because it's a practice that I always like coming up with a new idea or whatever you, from a paper, you have no idea whether it's valid. I mean, again, this comes maybe back to intuition. I always kind of look at the paper and say, well, how much do I really believe this? And am I willing to go and propose some crazy new idea if I don't really, trust it no so i'm going to try to reproduce it and more times than not I, I you know i've not reproduced data i've seen it amongst other people scientists scientists recognize it but here's the thing they don't see why the lack of reproducibility means the data is wrong <laughs> what i know, I know. <laughs> How? you know if it's false, if they're false, if they're not reproducible, if the most findings are false, how is it not wrong? I don't, you know, 
-hmm. But this is how we then perpetuate all of these things that become more just dogmas, belief, because there's no really factual basis that underpins them. Mm -hmm. And every paper, you have to understand that every single paper is underpinned by prior research. There's always these citations that say, why, what's the relevance? Why am I doing this? What's, you know, what, um, why is my finding relevant? What, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if, if the paper that I'm putting out or that I'm looking at, if that data's fault is not valid, and then if the majority of those papers that I'm citing to basically back up my whole hypothesis and uh, the reason that I'm publishing the data are all false, well, you have a house of cards, right? I mean, exactly that's the majority of it. That's not just like a little mind, you know, fringe thing over here. That's the majority of science right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it feels like just house of cards. And uh, mm -hmm. it's so beautiful to just take it in your own hands and, and say that, uh, you know, I can participate in this, in this process rather than handing it off. Like, you know, and that's, that's part of the dumbing down of society. It's not just children in schools that they've watered down all the education, but getting us to such a low standard of, having to go along and, and, and get along. And, you know, like most of my world before I found my people, none of them make sense. Mm -hmm. They don't make logic when they talk. There's <laughs> no, there's no consistency. There's, you know, missing pieces, there's dissociation. Mm -hmm. And right. And you, you go around and it's just like, what? And, and I feel so fortunate right now because I don't, have to be with any of those people. Like I don't have a, a job. I have to go when I go to the grocery store, we don't get into that. People are, you know, <clears throat> so I've, yeah, it's, it, it is possible to have a world where you don't have to deal with that kind of thing. But, it, but again, the standard just so incredibly low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I think you totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. I saw a study yeah. that just a new study that just came out about the, the COVID vaccines. Um, about the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, and that, that it was a Swedish study where they're claiming that the mRNA in the vaccine is integrated into these liver cancer cells. And so, aha, you know, we've proven that it integrates. I looked at that paper. I looked at, I always look at the methodology first because that, that tells no lies. That usually exposes everything right up front. And conveniently, now in most new papers, they now hide that. It used to be right at the front of the paper after the kind of abstract and introduction. Now they tuck it in at, at the end, hoping nobody goes and looks at it. And then when I went a little further and actually looked at the data, it was the same exact thing that I just described where it's all based on statistics. It's these tiny changes that they're making these big claims about. And I guarantee it's not, it's not valid. Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh, so a question came about uh, genetic manipulation raised in the book, Darwin's Doubt. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, the mathematical impossibility of that. Anything to say or add, not to put you on the spot for questions we no, didn't I'm plan not, on? I'm not familiar with that, although, I mm -hmm. mean, I guess I'm, uh, I'd be curious. I, I don't think Darwin was correct, obviously. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is one of my big questions that definitely attracted me to doing this interview was just to talk about, now this is sheer intuition, could be totally wrong. For example, I was wrong about nanoworms in masks. I thought that was a psyop. I thought they were just trying to scare us. So mm -hmm. I started to test the masks, very unscientific really? in a, yeah, in a, in a dish of uh, lukewarm water. And uh, I, I had my kids Snapchat because it has this huge magnification. And I went in just to 
just to put my mind at rest and, and prove that this was a bunch of BS. Well, I, I go and the first mask, friggin' worms in there. Wow. And not not organic worms. Right. No. And and not ones that people were, you know, the son's dad was like, oh, it's just convection. It's a, it's a, it's a heat thing and everything. It's like, no, no. Mm. Then everything in the dish would be moving around. But why is this one scooting across with some kind of volition? They would they would die after time because I was uh, putting borax in the water, so I could see that they would they would die after fifteen twenty minutes. I test mm -hmm. I tested nine masks in a row, found them nine out of nine. Wow! And I got sick of it. Like, okay, I'm done here. And these things, yeah. So, and that was that was both surgical and. And the ones that are coming from China it made me wonder if these things have already been in everything that we've bought and owned, you know, from China or wherever. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But kudos for you for looking into that. That's what I wish more people would take the time to to do stuff like that. Because there's there's no reason why you can't, right? Yeah. I mean, and why should you trust, especially if it does if it seems a little kooky or whatever, you know, you see something on a video or something online, you know, you, clearly anybody can investigate it themselves if they want. So exactly. That's awesome. Thank you. And this is the thing I'm willing to be wrong about when, it, but when it comes to say genetic manipulation, this is, this is the big fear of, of the satanic force come along, manipulating our genetics, turning us into something other than human. There's talk about, you know, that there's now patented parts of us mm -hmm. that they think is coming through the injections, but frankly could have been fed to us in so many ways for so long already over time. You know, is it, in your opinion, really possible to manipulate God's creation in the way that they say, you know, uh, you know, bioweapons and all this stuff? I just think it's a bunch of BS, but am I wrong? No, I, I don't think, again, I think this is where it kind of goes to belief and fear, right? So when mm -hmm. you play on both of those things, you can get the mind to accept a lot that maybe you shouldn't. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I you keep hearing this stuff over and over and over again, but I haven't seen a great deal of evidence that a whole lot of it is true. I mean, and again, if you're basing it off of published studies, you know, it's going to have to be pretty clear data. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it, Go ahead. I mean, is it possible to genetically modify a human? I mean, again, you have to go into sort of, the fundamentals of well, what do we know is actually and this this gets into I, I i've kind of gotten to this point where i'm like question everything how do you know you know every i mean there's so much that we're told about everything but really but what, just looking at science about biology about cells and things well how do you truly know that these things are are correct are real even if, as a scientist you know, we're just told we're, we're basically crammed a bunch of information, especially in grad school. You don't even have time to answer questions or really even think about it. You just have to, the only thing you can do is accept it and then regurgitate it on the test. So, I mean, who, who knows what's, what's real and, and what's not. Uh, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but no, nope. you know, I think that's where we really need to be asking questions about some of these fundamental things because you're always science always builds on top of itself right i mean that's part of the issue with these papers and these and all of these assumptions is 
when you just accept the assumptions and all these things and don't question them, you can lead yourself into conclusions, into things that are not based in reality. I think there's a lot of things that are coming out now that are just trying to scare people. And I don't always see a great deal of reality to, to back it up. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. If if these things are, are real, I mean, perhaps you could hack someone's genome, but again, you'd have to prove it. You know, you want to talk about the mRNA vaccine being integrated into the genome or, or manipulating someone's, someone's genome. Or, I mean, in, in theory, based on the, what we know of science, there are mechanisms that could enable that to happen. Yes. But are they, are they real? Are they, if we went back and looked at the, the, the papers that the foundational papers that led us to believe those things about genetics and genomic, you know, and these things, are they real? You know, I think we find a lot of um, parts of science that turns out to be just kind of null spaces where we perpetuated a lot of claims and things that really were not valid in the first place. So it's hard. Right. To exactly. And with the pandemic scam that they bring that forward, this whole threat of the microbiome. And, you know, if I, and this is, this is a belief. So I admit to this being a, a belief and holding the belief is serving me very well that everything is rigged in my favor, including the microbiome that God did it. Cause I was just thinking through why would God create like all this harmful pathogens and things to attack me. And like, that doesn't sound like God's world. And, and so I just flipped it and went, yeah, it's all rigged in my favor. These, these bacteria are working for me. I'm uh, you know, subscribed to pleomorphism. This I can observe. I can mm -hmm. see it from in my own eyes right? With some really gross examples, but I, so I won't share them right now, but uh, which I have. And, you know, so it's, it's one of those things that they, especially with this pandemic and people, you know, getting sick, to me, it's just the great poisoning. Mm -hmm. And the microbiome is, is trying to desperately help us through that because you know that that's like the you were talking about earlier the the experiments and reproducibility and all that kind of thing and the assumption of causality that's mm -hmm. there oh so we found these two things here at the same place and we're going to say one caused the other or you know two two circumstances and and then there's no basis for that the, uh, Andy Kaufman would say that it's like blaming viruses are like blaming the firemen for the fire say, okay yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I stole your thunder there no, 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 no. <laughs> I, obviously, I didn't come up with it, but yeah, it's the same an analogy, right? Exactly. I mean, just because exactly. they happen to be in the same place at the same time doesn't mean you can just assume one one causes the other. And I completely agree. I don't. I don't think God created us to be constantly, you know, have something that's like we're constantly a threat to each other in the way oh. that infectious disease plays out certainly plays out nicely for fear and, and being able to manipulate people. But so maybe it's, it's really more of a mind virus than anything, but mm -hmm. in reality, I mean, why would we be created like that? I, it, you're right. It doesn't make sense. No, no. <clears throat> and, and I always hold this too, as a belief that the creation can never overwhelm the creator. Mm -hmm. So no matter what they level at us, <clears throat> even if it is uh, truly bioweapons and all this kind of stuff, then then I just feel confident that even, and we're so adaptable to a, to a fault 
but even all of this poisoning, they, I, I was just thinking, yeah, I think my body's integrating and rolling with it. And, you know, I'm not dead of all this. I should be, I should be dead of all this. <laughs> Nearly died 20 years ago. And, you know, it's, it, it's work to stay healthy in this world for sure. And uh, let's jump over and talk a little bit about cancer, mm. since that was something I was diagnosed in 1999 with a stage four lymphoma and spent three years in treatments and fighting my, for my life and trying to avoid treatments too as well, by the way, because I, I knew a lot about ivory tower medicine at that point and didn't have a huge amount of confidence in it. Uh, in the meanwhile, we had worked for pharmaceutical companies, like I said, and I remember being at a very fancy dinner and I had to sit with the president of somebody or other, I don't know who it was. And I'm just blowing smoke up his butt because I'm just, you know, young and, and I think that's what these guys, these big wig wants, big wigs want. And sometimes they, they do. So I said, wow, cancer research is like amazing. And the, the huge developments and how much you guys have helped people and everything like this. And he's, he's like, mm, actually, no. Nope, we haven't. Nope, there's no cures. Like he just he just spilled wow. it all, and I'm like, oh, interesting. <laughs> and won't get so, that a lot, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. Frank. No, he was very frank <laughs> with me. Yeah, set me straight. So, what's your what's your take on all of that research and the bazillion dollars that they raise for it? I would I would completely agree with with what he said. When you look at the actual data, um. And not not the manipulated data, but the, but real data. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these treatments wind out to be marginally effective at best. I mean, especially the, the things like the chemotherapies that are so incredibly toxic. Um, you know, and and in fact, in many cases, most cancer therapies. One of the one of the side effects is that they cause cancer. Right. Most chemotherapies and radiation cause cancer. So I would say it's it's a really finely tuned industry. <laughs> if you want. I mean, the thing that I think a lot of people forget about because you want to believe in the greater good. You want to believe that these companies are for some reason solely out there. Their sole purpose is to find a cure and to to help you. You you for some reason just forget about the fact that they're businesses, right? Mm -hmm. Biotech companies, biotech literally is profiting off of innovation. You can go and look at any website of an oncology company or whatever, and they'll have all sorts of fancy slogans and they'll be appealing to, you know, we put the patients first and all this and stuff like that. And so you can kind of have this cozy feeling that they're, they're out there looking out for the best of the cancer patients, but behind the scenes, not at all. They're just trying to build the, the most value they can in their drugs and they'll do it ever they have to, including, I mean, th some things that are, you know, I would argue that are fraud, fraudulent to build that data, to make claims uh, about things. And it's anything but putting the patient first and looking to um, worry about things like toxicities and things. It's always, well, it's worth the, you know, the benefit is worth the risk, right? Or things like that. I mean, I don't know. I would encourage people to not just accept what they're told by the man in the white coat. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because yeah. it's so easy. Uh, I've known so many people, um, friends and family members. Uh, I lost my dad 
three years ago to pancreatic cancer in uh, a month from him being diagnosed. Oh, sorry um, to hear. My mom had cancer, but it was caught early. And she said, you know, I, I had, my son is actually named after my close childhood friend who died of um, Ewing sarcoma when he was like 14 or 15. So, hmm. I mean, everybody, you know, cancer is one thing, you know, COVID, I guess you, you could ask how many people know somebody that, you know, was sick or COVID, or, you know, um, not the vaccine, COVID, but cancer, everybody, everybody knows everybody everybody yeah exactly I mean, you're you're living proof of, of that right you and and thank god you're still here and you you fought and won but so many people don't don't get that choice they just believe what the doctor tells them and they take the the drugs and i mean there's not a lot of good outcomes that can come from a lot of these drugs um based on looking at how they work or don't work i mean they're not even the ones that they claim are specific there's no such thing as this kind of crazy specificity that they want you to believe it, i know I mean, most it's, drugs yeah. i think i might have mentioned this at some point but most drugs that are approved they don't even know the mechanism of action in other words how they work on a molecular level or on any level and in reality most especially the small molecule drugs they're incredibly promiscuous. It means they don't just hit one target, they hit many, many, many different targets. So when you talk about specific effects and side effects, they're really all just effects of the drug. There's not really a, a, a difference. It's just that how they position it and classify it so you feel better about taking it, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a crazy industry, especially having experienced it both on the inside and with family and, and friends that have gone through cancer. Um, it's quite a machine though, that they, that they have going on there. And, you know, as a business, what's in, in that setting, the last thing you want is healthy cured people you want to keep. And so if, and if you have drugs that also can cause cancer, you're going to make sure that you're always going to have the ability to go in and then use another drug and another different treatments and things return customers right that's what that mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. exactly uh it's sad but, it, but it's true yeah so we're in good company here about uh you know pissing other people off by asking questions and being that pain in the neck and i and i am good. that pain in the neck i know exactly exactly and just one little story i remember sitting there and uh, they were vampires taking blood from me every single time i would go to the hospital for any tests or mm -hmm. anything treatments whatever and uh, so I, I said to them, like, oh, well, how is that blood looking? You've taken a lot of it. How is it looking? How, what, you know, what can you tell me about my cancer? And they said, oh, your kind of cancer doesn't show up in blood tests. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I've given so many of these, like countless, sometimes we, on a weekly basis, I was, I was giving these, sort of like, okay, this is over. I just walked away. I said, that this is over. You are not, you vampires get away from me kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember it was the same thing that they, uh, they put me through a bone marrow, tra uh, not transplant, but a, a bone marrow biopsy, which is mm. hellish. I mean, you might, I won't go into detail about that. I was like all Gosh. over that top. I couldn't believe what they did to me. And then I say, I, I grilled them for, okay, well now how do the results of this clues, this, this test, which were inconclusive as usual, most, mm -hmm. most of my tests of any kind were inconclusive. I said, how does this influence my treatment? They said, it doesn't, it's based on your weight. <laughs> right, right. So they tortured me instead. 
on several occasions, right? Like it, it's anyway. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that's I mean, not. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, a lot of the but, tests are mm -hmm. just they're they're arbitrary, and especially the one the the stuff the blood. Um, I don't know if it was called the. It's kind of a newer thing called the liquid biopsy. Is that kind of is that what it was supposed to be, or something like that? Or there not? No. Yeah, and it was. Um, it was more than 20 years ago already. So, oh, okay. So yeah, not, right. New. Well, they have these new things now where they think that, yeah, I mean, they're trying to find ways of identifying like circulating cancer cells or some kind of, um, you know, unicorn in the blood there that they claim is there. But mm -hmm. what happens is as much as they want these things to work they they wind up having really poor sensitivity. So it winds up being very hard to be confident about it, what, and if you're detecting in them, I mean, no, and people just don't even think to ask the question, no. right? And I just, I'm one of those ones that will ask and uh, and get these strange answers. And I like what Cheryl says, we can use anything to cure ourselves. So I've had a, a an elderly cat from my mom who passed away from cancer. And uh, and so she got sick recently and it was very strong. I, th I was sure she was going to die. Mm -hmm. She was, you know, and my friend's saying, oh, go put her down. And I'm like, something's telling me not to do this. And then there was one treatment and I tried to give it to her. She wouldn't take it. They said, if, if she won't take it, just trust that, that's, that there's some intelligence knowing there. And uh, then next thing you know, she bounces back 100%. She was running around yesterday playing and, and here she was like on her deathbed, but to, to Cheryl's point that, that, uh, you know, we take all of these things, we go running for something outside of ourselves, and because it's all rigged in our favor, healing wants to happen. And it's, it's in, <clears throat> it's in God's hands. Now, if I was really strongly guided to any kind of a thing, go torture her at the vet or whatever kind of thing, I would do that. I would listen to that because I, I, I firmly believe don't make policies around any of this stuff. That's where you get stuck. You've got some idea, same with science, right? You've got some idea in your mm -hmm. mind, it's embedded and you're not going to go outside of those parameters and be able to see anything new. So I'm a big fan of um, taking things as they are in, in that moment. Your faith yeah. has made you whole, Absolutely. right? This is, this, is, this is the foundation of the teachings. Uh, Melanie's here who's been through cancer and she could read the energies of people who administer treatments, feeling into that fear mm -hmm. and, um, and uh, didn't listen to your inset knowing, inside knowing maybe, <laughs> a huge self-betrayal, which is how you come to trust yourself and your and your own guidance is by that betrayal first you know what that's mm -hmm. like and we've all been there so um yeah so many interesting comments you guys i i love the Great. people in this world they're so smart and i want to get back to also some of the questions that we were going to talk about and be mindful of the time because i think you only have 10 minutes left is that true uh roughly yeah 12 roughly 12 minutes okay yeah. perfect okay okay Give or take. <laughs> so what of the topics would you like to dive in with that uh, you think is the most important message for people to hear and understand from a scientist right now? No pressure. Okay. <laughs> oh, are you asking me or are you asking yes. for questions? From yeah, oh. yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, from you. Because we were going to talk about viruses and oh, right, did, right. we did talk about cancer and uh, empowering people. We kind of did that and uh, encouraging more scientists to speak out. So any messages that you'd like to share, I'll just put it in your hands. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah, I think the two big, the two big things for me and, and kind of why I'm speaking out are, 
encourage to encourage more people to speak out because I know how tough it is um, to to speak out to get to get the courage to speak out, um, especially when you're on the inside because um, there are I mean there's retribution and things like that. You can you can lose you know your whole career. Although I guess I I did anyway, but. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a lot of people that just will not speak out. And if if I can play a small role in trying to encourage more scientists to speak out, you know, I'd love to do that because I think there's great power in more people that are willing to question things and willing to let their voices be heard. Um, and on that, the note of power, to be able to empower more people to... Um, to take that knowledge, right? Science being knowledge, take that knowledge back. Don't just listen to the man in the white coat, like what we we're saying about cancer, but that could go for, for anything. You go in for COVID or HIV or whatever. We need to start having more confidence in our own abilities that, that God gave us, not just looking at looking for other other basically false gods, right? I mean, that's what all these guys in these white coats and these experts. And I mean, we have everything we, we've been given everything that we need to understand who and what we are and understand and, and know our health and heal ourselves. Um, and if I can empower people to say, you don't have to be an expert, you don't have to have a whole you know, string of letters after your name to be able to take that power back and do the research yourself. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say you're going to be an expert or whatever. Who, who cares? I, you know, but taking that power back to learn things and come to your own conclusions. There's there's tremendous power when when you've done when you've taken the time to do that work. And it takes it does take time. And it's a pain in the butt, because especially when I tell you you've been spending time looking at trying to make heads or tails out of published research papers. And now here some guy comes along and tells you, yeah, it's mostly false. <laughs> You're like, oh man, I was wasted all that. Well, no, it's not a waste of time because you still, I think we need to learn how the system was set up in order to make heads or tails of how we move forward too. What, what was so wrong about it in the first place? So we need to learn a lot of these, these fundamental aspects about science as it is in the mainstream so that we can then think of how we can fix it because it's it's harder if i just come along and say we need to tear this down we need to do away with this or that if you don't understand if you don't see why if you don't see how far we've been led astray um it's it might be it might be tougher pill to swallow so i mean i just i hope that people can be encouraged and and empowered to to um to take this to take this back and stand up. I mean, maybe there's as hard as this has been these last couple of years. If there's anything good that we can take out of this, it's it's this. It's it's standing up, being courageous to speak out, and and forming these new communities where we can work together and get away from this crazy system. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'd also be curious in an, maybe another conversation for another time, but uh, the liability that lies with scientists and, and the, the world that must exist behind the scenes and, you know, because they are responsible for actual protocols and, and, you know, drugs coming out and hitting the market. And, you know, that must be quite a little snaky world there. Are, are, are scientists bonded, by the way? Is there any need for that? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah. At least not at like the bench science level or anything. Yeah, yeah. Just curious. Now we're asking everybody that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. For the law world. Um, Well, it's been it's been a a wonderful conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed meeting you, Mike. And uh, I want you to keep us posted. And there are links in the notes below about how to connect with scientists for health freedom. Please use this if you are in the science world and you think that your life is going to end because you speak out. Well, look at Mike. He's living proof. He didn't die. (laughs) And uh, he's making a new life for himself and following his sacred purpose. And under God, we can do this, right? It's everybody thinks, oh, I had to take those poison injections. And like, here's one example, a really good friend locally, her son was uh, wanting to go and get trained in being to be an electrician, you might, they might be hearing this. And, um, and then I said, well, mm, you know, what about instead of going to that university and doing that more normal path? What if he apprenticed or I was just, you know, as a business coach, I'm always looking for outside the, the box ways for people to get their training and experience and and be able to show and and put their value out into the world. Well, lo and behold, he just got a job as an electrician getting paid to do the apprenticeship. Wow. Right? He didn't have to give in. Mm -hmm. And there was some time, there was a time lapse and they didn't know how it was going to happen. But boom, he is through that door with his integrity and his health also. That's wonderful. Right. So it's a matter of faith. Just know that it can happen. And uh, if you need assistance, anyone needs assistance to see how their career could pivot and what what purpose is bubbling out of you that might have been there in certain ways in your job or your career, but maybe not answering the full calling that you've come with. This is my specialty. This is how I help people. So if anybody out there is stuck in that place, not knowing how to translate in a slave society to being valued for the work that you really want to do, then uh, just put up your hand, email me, send me a message at my website, bethmartins.com, and uh, we can have a chat and see if there's any way that I could help you with that. One of my all-time favorite things to do. That's great. Yeah. 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 Super fun. I got kicked out of my life and had to invent myself and, uh, and it was follow your calling or die. That was, Mm -hmm. that was where I was at. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. (laughs) Right. We have a deal. We have a deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Mike. And, uh, I'll, I'll leave you with a few minutes to get yourself out the door. All to right. uh, get your uh, your loved ones. And uh, I might stay on just for a couple of minutes and, and look at some more comments here as well. There's been so many good ones, but feel free if you if you need to go. To go. Thank you, Cheryl, for this. He healed myself. And uh, I appreciate that. Uh, took Jesus' advice. It just, you know, it's so inspiring to watch what is possible. I watched a movie last night. Really quickly, I'll just share this with you before I let you go. It's, it, I think it was considered a bad movie and it's uh, Exodus when, when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt mm-hmm. and the, uh, the immense scale of miracle that, that happened that allowed them to take this enormous population of people from utter slave conditions to the desert, which is kind of wild because that's about where we're at right now. 
We're about to do 40 years in the desert. And uh, we won't be able to do it alone. So I'm glad to have met you, Mike, and uh, I'm grateful for your work, grateful that you've spoken out. Congratulations. It's uh, going to be a benefit to many, I'm, I'm very sure. Well, thank you so much. It, this has been wonderful. And I'm, I'm just, I'm truly grateful for, for the opportunity to, to spend the time today. And uh, hopefully it was, it was valuable. It's, it looks like it was. Yeah, you're getting some good appreciation. All right, everybody. So I think I will actually sign off and get myself onto a few other things. I, like I said, I have an in-person meeting today. Wow, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I love you guys. I will see you again soon. I don't know exactly what's coming up yet. Maybe I'll come on myself. I haven't done that for a while either. And uh, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. And this will be up as a recording right away as well. For anybody that you want to share it out with, please do th that as well. Okay, have a great rest of your day, Mike, and everyone. Right, you too. Okay, thank you. Bye for now. Bye.